Welcome back. Hello. Welcome. It's just so lovely to see you. Thank you. Uh, we've got James, Jane in the, my bottom. Hello. Thank you so much. And Kerry, welcome back. Hello. <laughs> Are we muted? Thanks, John. Are we muted? I think we might be muted. Uh, I can hear you. We can oh, hear no. each other. But On the live stream. Maybe that oh, okay. Maybe three minutes on panel, we've jinxed it. Oh. We were, we're okay. We're, we're, sort of, we're, we're, we're working. Um, I, I do understand that it's, um, am I right in saying it's Paul Daly's birthday today? Oh, yeah, it is. Happy birthday, Paul. I, I seen that I, earlier on. I think our boss uh, is sort of, it's certainly around here. Um, and so happy birthday to our boss. And uh, so we hope you're having a, a great day. Um, but the time is now, the place is here, and welcome to you. Um, what did we call our uh, justicios? <laughs> the, uh, our, our, um, our, our wonderful show tonight. Um, let's start. <laughs> I have a moment of the week this week, but I'm going to leave it till last because it's too scary to, to, um, to, to, all you'll be able to think about when I tell you will be what I've said. So let's go through and see what my wonderful guests have. Kirsty, your moment of the week. So my moment of the week is a tweet that was sent out by uh, Jeremy Vine. Um, we believe that it's been taken down since. I don't have it on me to read the exact word. I don't know if you've got it on the screen to share it. Um, but it was basically saying that there were too many people on benefits within the UK, too many disabled and sick people claiming benefits, and they should all get back to work in as many terms. Um, so I think what we're seeing is another regurgitation of the Cameron years, aren't we? If everybody can cast their minds back to 2000, what, 2012, 2013, it was the scroungers and skivers, wasn't it? that was the big uh, rhetoric of it. it was all these people on benefits. Well, since then, we've seen benefits slashed, we've seen disability um, money slashed. Um, people are struggling, you know, that are on benefits. Um, and I think what we're gonna see is another uprising of this um, benefit scaremongering. Um, and I've noticed over the last six months, there's been um, an uprising, a few articles. I'm noticing that the public are starting to get back to um, that argument as well, which I think actually died down after COVID-19. I think it really hit, hit yeah. working people that did find out that they had to um, rely on benefits because, you know, they couldn't get to work or whatever. I think it actually gave them some insight into what it's like when you are on benefits and, and what a struggle it is. I'm thinking maybe people are starting to forget what it was like for them in lockdown on benefits and what a struggle it was. And they're looking for somebody to blame because obviously we're in the cost of living crisis and, and you know, people need somebody to blame for this um, other than the government, obviously, or bad policy making. Um, but I think the danger with the rhetoric of that, you know, from a personal point of view, I've got multiple health issues. I'm currently not working. But what really annoys me is in 2012 and 2013, when the Skybers and Strivers rhetoric was coming out, I decided to strive. You know, I was single 
mum with three kids on my own not working and I decided to go back into further education and, and be a striver and actually what happened was I lost benefits because I went back to college and decided to be a striver they, they cut they cut half of my money because I decided to go back to college you know so I, I, I don't know what the, the ideology behind this, but I'm assuming that they're, they're running out of the migrant um, bashing, they're, they're running out of um, the xenophobia bashing, or they're running out of the homophobic bashing, or the you know trans bashing and what have you, and it's, we're just seeing a, a regurgitation of what we're saying, you know, 2012, 2013, so... Um. We need to keep an eye on that because it's yeah. just um, it's just the, the, they just go around in a circle uh, seeking scapegoats mm -hmm. uh, uh, for their own incompetence. Neil Terry, my political moment of the week was seeing the Tories not being happy with the COVID inquiry wanting unredacted documents and inquiries they said. So well done, absolutely typical. And um, Jane, our moment of the week. So it's not a very nice moment of the week, but um, in you. Uganda, um, where homosexuality has been uh, illegal um, for some time, they've now imposed life imprisonment um, and the death penalty for um, same-sex acts um, or what they've called aggravated homosexuality. So, which is just in this day and age, just terrifying. And there's some brands who are starting to boycott Uganda. I just hope there can be enough pressure put on to get this turned around but then there's what happens under the radar because if this is accepted by the state there's already reports you know of people being beaten up in the street and horrific violence so you know on paper they might take that away but it doesn't mean that it's safe for people to live their lives i'm worried jane that we're seeing a rolling back on lgbtq rights um the natcons were very strong for a um a, 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 a cishet family set up um, uh, and uh, at the conference in London um, and um, I'll talk about uh, with my moment of the week as well. Carrie, what's your moment of the week? Well, it's more than a week um, and I'm trying to be positive because normally my moment of the week is beyond negative, um, but I'm trying to be positive, but I was actually on it like over the moon to be asked by Laura Daly to carry the women's banner at Durham Miners Gala. That made me over the moon. So I'm trying to be a bit positive. So yeah, I hope my back puts it up, but yeah, I'm willing to do it. We all have to suffer for the cards, <laughs> That's just great news and congratulations. Um, I, my, my moment of the week, just very briefly, is um, can you remember we talked about whether uh, previous week about whether Trump was in trouble or not? And then I asked the question, sort of, and if we get DeSantis instead, will that be a, a good thing or a bad thing? Um, sort of, um, arguably, the, the two of them are trying to outdo each other in um, horrendousness. Um, uh, DeSantis was on Fox News, um, sort of, uh, recently. And he says this, um, if he's elected, I will be able to destroy leftism in this country and leave woke ideology in the dustbin of history. So that's that's what we're looking at from a DeSantis presidency. Um, you just want to give up all hope. 
uh, sort of um, Laura Lee, uh, so DeSantis leading us straight to Gilead, and uh, that's absolutely uh, a, a danger. I'll shut up now, let's move on. Now it's time for the big story. I, 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 I know my face appears in a little, a, a, a little box on the screen, but when I go like this with my fingers pointing sort of to, to, to the, the, the tech person to, to do the... Can you actually see them or am I just sort of going... And, and it, <laughs> for no apparent reason. Uh, so there, uh, there, there we go. Um, let's start off. Um, this is one of the most complex problems that we've addressed on, 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 on the show. It's massively difficult to get your head around um, and there's a massive problem with it. It's, it's crisis across the board. Um, so here's my question. I'm going to start it with Jane. Uh, Jane, housing is a huge and complex problem and we can all agree that the Tories have utterly failed to address it. Never mind solve it. What are the issues and what would you propose as solutions? So I'm going to start off with renting because the Renters Reform Bill has now finally, after four years, been announced and gone for its first reading in Parliament, I think last week. So I think back in 2019, the government promised, amongst other things, they'd end Section 21, no fault evictions, and they have finally got around to um, putting this through Parliament. So renting is a huge terrible situation in this country affecting the mental health and well-being of so many people anyone who's unfortunate enough to think to be caught up in it so in terms of certainly the private rental sector and affordability is a huge thing so whilst interest rates have you know they're going up now but whilst interest rates were below one percent for 10-13 years rents have been you know going up year on year land lots of landlords have been helping themselves to a nice big increase in the rent every year and there's so many people who can't just can't afford to live at all who are living beyond their means you know just to be able to keep a roof over their head and not a nice roof I think it's a quarter of people in um private rented houses who their their homes aren't fit wouldn't meet the safer home standard and there's been lots of reports on ITV over the last year about absolutely disgusting conditions in social housing as well so what this does to people with the affordability is that people are just constantly worried and frightened that not going to be able to pay their rent that their rent will go up that they might end up homeless and there's been a few reports that in the last week that private renters are twice as likely to end up in problem debt than people who aren't renting so another big issue with this is lack of security so the section 21 no fault evictions this in no fault eviction which just means a landlord can ask you to leave your home it doesn't matter if you've lived there for 30 years and you've paid your rent on time every day and you've been a model tenant and no one's ever said anything bad about you they can just tell you to go because they want to do you know often because they realize that the market rates have gone up and rather than ask the tenant to pay more rent they, they'll just chuck them out and put it on the market for twice as much i've heard of that happening more times than i can think of or to sell the property um so this is this is obviously very bad for people's mental health in terms of security, people with children. Often when this happens, and in fact I rent, and 
all of the people that I know that vent, including myself, have had to move at some stage because the landlords asked them to leave the property because they wanted to sell the property. So, which is the landlord's prerogative, but what people have found overwhelmingly is that market rents have gone up in the area even faster than the rent from their landlord, so that when they go to move, they find they can't stay in the area they were living in before, so they have to move somewhere else and pay even more rent to live in an even smaller place. And if you've got children, or if you've got children, you know, I, I read a really heartbreaking story in a local forum last year about a lady who'd been living in her house for many years and one of her children is autistic and she can't afford to live in this area anymore now her landlord's asked her to go and this is going to cause her child so much distress changing schools. It's really nasty for families. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the Renters Reform Bill does does remove section 21s however what it puts in instead is the right for the landlord to give the tenant eight weeks notice if they decide that either they want to sell the property which is the reason that everyone I know who's been through this has gone through it so those people still would have gone through it Mm. um, or if they want to either move in themselves or move in a family member however they don't have to provide any evidence that they're going to do this and all they all they have to do is not put the house on the market or rent it out for three months afterwards so mm. as long as they don't do that then they're fine and they can just rent it out again and get the tenant out effectively on a no-fault eviction um, and it's the onus is on the tenant to track this and report it to the local authority so um, this isn't great um, pets are another issue pets are really good for mental health um, and most renters can't have pets just because their landlords don't want them to have pets it's too much part of it is because of the stupid way that the laws are written so that um, even good landlords are frightened sometimes that their tenants have pets um, however um, the renters reform bill says it will address this by giving renters the right to request to have a pet and that the request can't be unreasonably turned down this has only been put out last week and I've already seen one podcast advertised on YouTube with handy tips for landlords and how to get around in a reason that's not unreasonable so there's no comeback on this Um, and the impact on people who just aren't able to settle into their community because they can't put down roots they have to move from area to area whenever they have to move you hear about people who've had to move several times in a couple of years through no fault of their own just because they've rented places that their landlords then want to sell or do other Mm. things with so what the um, renters reform bill has put in is rolling tenancies rolling one month tenancies as opposed to the short hold um, assured tenancies we've got at the moment where you sign up to a fixed 12 months and that can be very problematic because if you move into the property and find out that you know that it's riddled with damp Mm. or that the landlord harassing you or that any other number of things are wrong or you know you can't just give notice to leave you'd be obligated to pay the rest of the rent on that 12 month tenancy if you did so that ties people into properties you know where they shouldn't be having to stay so that will address that to a certain extent but again there's only a six month safety period before the landlord can implement this um, request for you to leave so that they can sell or buy so six months is the maximum amount of time you can really be sure you've got a roof over your head even if you do everything right Um, And local authorities are being expected to enforce this. So the same local authorities that have been defunded over the last 13 years and had their budgets slashed, there's no talk of any extra funding for them to do this. And there was already an article in one of the, um, I think it's the New Statesman saying that 
local authorities don't have the resources, manpower, or expertise to do this. So this is gonna there's gonna be a bit of a free rule where they can't enforce this. And what had also been promised to be in this um, legislation was a ban on the um, ba blanket bans on families of children, because that's another thing. If you're a renter, you can't have pets, you can't have children, you can't be ill and not work, you can't be claiming any sort of support from the state. So it had, we had been promised that this would be taken out and we had been promised that the decent home standard would be brought into this, that there was some sort of minimum standard of living. Um, however, there's just a note in the back saying that there's a commitment to this and they'll do it at the earliest opportunity. And you would think that the earliest opportunity is now in this piece of legislation. So they sound, perhaps they'll add that in and I'm sure there'll be amendments, but that's really disappointing. So venting, um, not very nice. Uh, thank you, as always, an incredibly uh, erudite and detailed description of the, the problem. Um, and uh, we still remember just talking about one aspect of this problem. Uh, just very briefly, Jane, I mean, what for you would be a solution to this? Social housing. We need social housing. There isn't any other solution, I don't think. Um, Kirsty, have you any experience in the rental sector? I mean, what, what are your comments about what Jane has been talking about? Yeah, so I've rented um, and had to, the, the first place I moved into on the first move, I was in it two months, it was awful, the landlord used to turn up every Sunday and be a bit of a creep, um, I couldn't get, it was loads of faults with the house that were, that were covered up and when I complained about it he gave me four weeks notice and just said that he was selling the house and I had to get out. Um, and luckily, I managed to move into another rental property, which again, on the surface, looked great, but had damp, we had mould, there was um, gaps between the window, and, and the landlord just didn't want to put any money into, into the house to sort it out, and we've ended up moving again. But because of that, my children have had to move schools twice, um, two primary schools, and it really upskittled them of having to make new friends, having to, to um, you know, lose old friends. And I think the solution to it is it, it's a um, it's a landlord's market out there, isn't there? You know, if we had enough housing, that would put pressure on these landlords that they would have to have reasonably priced, decent housing, or people wouldn't wouldn't um, wouldn't move into them, would there? I mean, an example this week, I've been supporting somebody who's who's looking to move. And they were looking at a, a two-bedroom property that was um, first put up for £675 a month. And then the next day, for some reason, the rent had gone up on it to £850 a month. And he contacted me and said, how? How is this possible? And I said, I bet they got so much interest in the, the, the one at 675 that they thought, well, we're, we're asking too little for this property. And an 850 in my area is really high for a two-bedroom terraced house. You know, one bathroom, two bedroom. So I agree with Jane. You know, we need more affordable, we need more social housing. And I think also we need to be looking at other places. And like I don't know if anybody else's area, but in my area, there's loads of empty spaces above shops, I've noticed. There's like faded nets and a bit of a faded, you know, a box. And I'm wondering, well, what space is above these shops? Is there where we can be looking at, you know, a more um, environmentally friendly way of actually looking at where we can make um, properties, whether they're flats or bedsits or whatever, you know, in these these already buildings that aren't being used? If that makes sense. 
we looked into this at Durham County Council for a while and um, yeah. we were assured that um, it, was, it was much harder at renting these spaces than you might think that they, they were um, town centres. And I can't remember what the, the specific argument was, except that it, it was um, a, a problematic place, both in terms of the kind of tenants that you got there, but also in the experience of the tenants living in a town centre. Um, yeah. and they, they just couldn't rent them when they did them. Um, mm. But apart from just building five million houses in the next four years, um, sort of, it's very, it's sort of, it has to be tempting to look at places we can um, use um, yeah. to, um, to, to um, as rental places. Uh, Kerry, have you any thoughts of the rent, about the rental sector and, 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 and what we should be doing? Um, I live in a, a social housing, housing association, and believe you me, these issues are not just in the private sector. They're far from in the private sector. I've lived in my house 14 years now, and it took a little boy to die a few months ago for them to actually not fob their tenants off to say um, it is damp and it is mould. It's not just condensation. And it took a boy, a child to die for a housing association to up the game. And my housing association is terrible and it's as worse as a private landlord is, definitely. And it's really, really bad. And I think that the worst thing many local authorities in this country did was sell off council houses to these private housing associations. And I generally do. I still call my house a council house, but it's not a council house, it's a housing association. But that is the worst thing in the world that they ever did. And it's like going from coast to country. It was a small, like, private company. When I got my house and I've got an old school tenancy, and I don't want my tenancy changing, and I refuse to have it changed because I'm still in my house. Um, but you get beyond a joke, as I call them, beyond housing, and they are beyond a joke. Um, and they don't listen to you. You get these people who just come in, fob you off, who think you're gormless and thick. Oh, well, that's not this and that's not that. And, and people believe that being in a social housing house is better than a private landlord, where my current landlord is getting as bad as a private landlord. And... And the answer is the answer is is council housing, uh, social social landlords. Um, uh, and when mind you, I, I think I'm right in saying that that little boy died. He was in a council property. Yeah, he was. He was in. I think he was in a social social housing housing association property. And I think the was parents. It, like but it wasn't a council house. It was a, it was a housing association. But sort of um, uh, sort of um, whatever. Um, we, we, we need regulation. Um, I'm going to go back to Jane and we're going to continue talking about housing because we're, so far we've only talked about problems in the rental sector. Um, but one thing I know that you're um, uh, increasingly angry about, Jane, is, is the um, situation as regards leasehold. Do you, do you want to talk to us about the problems facing uh, leaseholders at the moment? Yeah, so I don't know. 
I, I didn't used to know anything about leasehold. I didn't understand what leasehold and freehold meant. There was a time when I thought that maybe me and my husband might be able to buy a home of our own one day. Um, and at that time, obviously, the thing that would have been available to us was, you know, the cheapest possible property, which is a flat. But looking into it, what you get when you buy a flat, you don't, what the freehold would mean everything's yours the leasehold is what you get with a flat which means that it's not all yours on top of your rent on top of your mortgage that you're paying for your flat you've got someone who's renting out the communal areas and you have to pay additional charges to them you have no control about what they do to those areas what they spend the money on Um, I've had friends who lived in flats who had to pay really large service charges to the people in these communal areas and nothing ever got done because the landlord would keep on saying oh there's one person out of the whole flats who won't pay their money so I can't do anything so it's really an awful situation it's not this they don't have this system in mainland Europe this is of course an English feudal thing um, a hangover from our feudal past and Michael Gove had committed to abolishing this he'd said he thought it was unfair and it needed to be abolished but it seems that he's had pressure put upon him by other people in the Conservative Party and they've quietly dropped that pledge um, in the last few weeks, which is really sad. So this, you know, it's just making it harder for those at the bottom who are able to buy um, and shared ownership as well. Um, Peter Apps of Inside, uh, Inside Housing magazines put some stuff out today that was really interesting about shared ownership. And he put a statement from someone who they had, um, they, this man and his partner had gone to purchase a shared ownership property and they'd worked out they could afford to get, I think, 45% of the property. And then according to that percentage, there's a deposit they pay. But they went to the assessment and they were told, no, you can't have 45% because that's too affordable for you. You have to have 55%, which means you'll pay obviously more for the mortgage and need a bigger deposit, which, you know, which means you're overstretched, which means there's no give and you're subject to the you know mortgage increases after the first few years and also a lot of these places are flat so then you've got service charges coming in for the communal areas that are completely out of your control so even the shared ownership you know market I have heard people say positive things about it but there was there were some really terrible stories about the way people are treated in shared ownership properties and terrible situations that people end up in through shared ownership so it's you know it's again it's the people who aren't wealthy the people at the bottom of the pile just trying to survive whether you're renting or buying, it's just not a fair housing market. Um, leasehold, when, when, when I was first buying my, my first house, which was 1978, um, uh, the, um, it was, uh, you, you didn't really bother because what happened was that you bought in a 999-year lease. It still had 800 years to run. And there was, there, there was these sort of, people who owned it but they'd been forgotten who nobody knew who they were there was no money to pay to them and you just got on as though it was your house and those houses were cheaper and so they were therefore more attractive and what's happened in the last few years is that um sort of it's been discovered that this can be a cash cow with ground rents and um service charges and um uh, horrific and I point out that Gove's backtracked under pressure. The Labour Party is only promising to stop um, leasehold on new built properties, on properties built from when it makes the law. And so there's this backlog of people trapped and sort of um, some of them have to do silly things like, you know, if they want to do any um, 
uh, decorating in the house or they want to change a light plug, plug or renew the electrics. They're prepared to pay for it, but they have to ask permission. Um, it's uh, horrific. Um, I'm, I'm going to uh, just quickly, Kirsty or Kerry, have you anything to say about leasehold? Because we have one one aspect of housing that we need to go to, but we're running out of time. Sort of, have you anything to say, Kerry, leasehold? That's why I was saying I don't want to get rid of my old tenancy agreement with like the good company, Coast and Country, because I've got like, um, basically I moved into my house and it's mine until I want to move out of it, even though it's like a social housing house. But if I went on a beyond a joke tenancy now, it's only my house for so many years. So that's why I don't want my tenancy changing. Long haul, it's a long, I always get the word wrong, is it a long haul tenancy that I've got? So basically my house is my house until I move out of it. So much of the issue with the rental market is that um, it doesn't give people a home. It merely gives them a house. And yeah. it's a temporary area. And one of the facts about this is that the poorer the area you live in, the faster the turnover of tenants. And so you never get a chance to establish a community. A See, I have, and that's why I don't want to do my tenancy. I've lived in my house yeah. for 14 years. Spot so on. that's why when I don't you, want to, like, change when it. If you have a fixed tenancy, then sort of you get to know your neighbours, yeah. um, sort of the person that you help each other out. There are people who've lived there all their lives and sort of when something new moves into the area, they look around and say, whoa, this is how we behave. Um, I mean, I've just had to mute myself there because my next door but one neighbour's brought my escapee cap back all the time. <laughs> he brings it back all the time. So I had to yeah. mute myself there. And I was like, this, like, when we answer the kids, answer the door, answer the door, so the dogs are barking. And he brings me cap back so it escapes all the time. So we've <laughs> talked about this before, Kerry. This is the reality of life. Some really good um, comments people making, um, sort of, um, Mark Lungley, we need uh, ACOM, the union, or the London Renters Union, you can join that. I am corrected, uh, the Rochdale uh, thing was a housing association, please forgive me for misspeaking. Um, Jacqueline Hemmings, um, building on upon our complaints about the, the transitory nature of it and, and sort of and, and, and on Kerry's points about the poorness of checks that go on. Um, thank you very much. Last, uh, very briefly, um, Jane, talk to us about the problems in house building and the absolute numbers of houses available. Um, I think we're heading towards the lowest housing um, stock being built since the end of the Second World War is just feeding. And another promise that Michael Gove has backtracked on is that he had committed to the building of 300,000 um, houses a year. Um, and he's backtracked on that because of pressure from people in the Conservative Party again. And, and it's just an optional now for local authorities to do that. But I don't know if Kirsty wanted to come back in there. No, I was, I was just going to say just something that came into my mind about um, that, you know, the, the shared ownership. Um, I don't know if this is, is the rules across the board, but I used to support a lady who had gone into the shared ownership of a, um, it was like a housing association house. It was on a row of housing associations. Uh, and the tr trouble she had is she couldn't actually move. She couldn't actually put the house up for sale or get any of her money out because it was up to 
the other shareholders with it and they just said no that she couldn't move so I think that's a just a little pip of the downfall of it if, if once you're in there you could be stuck and not be able to move or downsize so that was just where my mind was um the answer Jane I, I really think it's council housing. Everyone needs a home that they can feel safe in. They need to know that there's a roof over their head in a, you know, a safe place where they can stay for as long as they need to stay. And that when they're not there anymore, the people they care about will be safe to stay in that place as well. It's so important. And they need to know that they can afford to stay there, whatever happens. And if they get ill or something happens to them, they're still going to have that safe roof over their head. And there is so much benefit for the whole community, for all of society through that it's not just for the individual it's it's for everyone's benefit to do this um the um just closing this up quickly and please forgive me for drawing to a rapid close but we have two more uh, topics to talk about um labor housing group um they just put something out i'm not tremendously impressed by labor housing group but they put out a book um which argues that housing is a right and they look at the whole problem through the prism of the fact that we have a right to housing in the same way as we have a, a right to equality and political rights and economic rights. We have social rights in terms of housing and other issues like that. And, and it was uh, really quite interesting, but a, a huge read, read the introduction. Um, but the one that you need to watch uh, people um, look up the Labour campaign for council housing. And what they argue is that all the promises by both the parties, but including Labour, um, their promises about home ownership and their promises about the rental market conflict with each other. And they can't do one if they're going to do the other. They're making these promises to these different groups of people unaware. And the only answer they argue is what Jane just said. It's uh, council housing. Let's move on. Um, from one incredibly complex thing to another incredibly complex thing, which we're going to accomplish in, in, in quarter of an hour, everybody. Um, so, so Kirsty, tell us about uh, the energy price cap. It's going down. Is this good news for people? Well, on the on the, on the service, so from the 1st of July, the, the government guarantee ends, um, but it should be starting again which is, is a good thing in a way, because if Ofgem actually set the cap, so the government did it so that they could set the cap, and it was at £2,500, as we are now. If Ofgem had been in control of that cap, it could be been as much as, as £5,000 a year on our energy bills, from one of the data sources I found. Um, so from the first slide, it should go down. The numbers are looking at about 1976 which is about £600 less than what we're paying at the moment, but they are going to rise again um, towards next winter and rise again up until uh, around £2,045. So a little bit less of what we've been paying, but still more than what we were paying um, post-COVID, before COVID. 
Um, so it will be coming down for a bit, but then it will be going up again, but not at the levels that we've been at, if that makes sense. So it is good news of it is slowly coming down. However, the problem is we are one of the, so the UK, we, we pay the most worldwide for our um, energy supplies. Um, and part of the reason for that is actually our housing, going back to housing as well, is we don't insulate our, our housing like other European countries are. Um, and there's no funding to put that insulation into um, making houses less leaky, so to speak. Um, another thing is that 85% of our households um, use gas boilers, which isn't the same for other European countries. And the other big issue is that 40% of our electric is actually generated through gas-fired um, power stations. So we've got to get the gas for that as well. Um, so on how to bring it down... The other argument is, I mean, Sharon Graham's come out and said, actually, Ofgem aren't fit for purpose, that um, British gas aren't fit for purpose. British gas made three billion profit this year. Um, and this is because instead of energy companies taking this rise, so to backtrack, the rise that we're seeing is a mixture of a lot of things. It is to do partially with the war in Ukraine. It is partially to do because of COVID. And it is partially because we're in a cost of living crisis. We've got all these things going on at the same time that are putting pressure on our um, energy prices. Um, but uh, Sharon Graham at Unite has come out and said it's absolutely not fit for purpose that, that these companies are still making billions of profit because they are passing the increase in energy prices onto the customer instead of taking it from their profit. So it's greedy capitalism at the end of the day. It, it's capitalism on steroids and we know where it came from. It's come from Thatcher and privatisation. Um, and the most annoying thing is we've got companies in sort of France and Germany that own our um, energy companies and the profits are actually going into their countries because they're state owned. It's going back in there. So it's not even as if we are generating money to come back into our economy, which would help our inflation rate, which is also another reason why prices are going up, because we've got sky high inflation rates as well. Um, so I looked at a little bit of uh, the LSE uh, British Politics and Policy website had some quite interesting information. Um, and they were saying, yeah, it is Ukraine that is squeezing the gas supplies in Europe um, and causing the wholesale prices to go up. But it is so high to us is because of the state of our housing. So one solution could be we need we need a campaign to get better insulation in houses so that it would bring down our bills is one, one way we could um, solve the problem. But they're also highlighting how this is affecting businesses as well, um, especially small businesses, independent businesses that are seeing their energy bills going up. Um, and that's bad for us in a way because they're either gonna have to raise the price on the products that they're selling or they're going to have to make redundancies within their company. So either way, it is still us, the consumer, or us as the workers that are going to feel the hit from it. But they did come up with some really good solutions of how we could bring it. Um, and that was practical things like changing your boiler system and turning it down, which we've all heard before, installation, which I've gone through, um, but also the creation of zero carbon homes as well, which would link into our dream for better social housing, you know, if we're going to do this big social 
in our world, if we had the, you know, the magic wand to do it, would be actually creating zero carbon homes, which are, are really popular across Europe as well. We're really behind with other European countries that, that are, are moving towards this way of, of house building. And the big one is renewable energy as well, where we need to be um, putting money into um, wind power and solar power. But every time it seems that we, we make steps to do this, like solar paneling and farmlands, apparently there's going to be um, some new policies that are going to come in to put a ban on that. So the government are looking at, they would look to put a ban on solar farms being put on agricultural land. So if we're to believe that we're struggling for space for housing and space for food growing and stuff, we'd have to look at how we could get around that as well. Uh, to bring down the prices um but they are i mean i did read one statistic that um that it will drop from july to under 2000 and then it will rise again to just over 2000 but things aren't expected to get any better before the end of the decade so realistically we could be looking at another seven years of this of, of sky high energy costs I mean, they're the practical ways that we can get round, around things, but you've got to look at, um, you know, other places in Europe that are, are buying their gas cheaper than what we're getting it as well. I mean, Brexit has really put um, like a damper on this because we used to collectively buy our energy, didn't we? Through the EU, we could collectively buy it. And now we're outside of that system. We're actually getting charged a little bit more um, than other European countries. So... I mean, I was never a Brexiteer. I thought it was a bad idea from the start. So it was just another little, um, you know. And then on the other side of it, if people are getting into debt with their bills, and I know this personally, where um, I had to, when I had my back injury, I had to stop working and I was only getting £360 a month in statutory sick pay for a few months um, while they sorted out um, benefits and stuff for myself. And I got in debt with my gas and electric. Um, and I actually said to them, look, this is what I can afford to pay. I can't afford to pay the 150, but I can afford to pay the 100. And because their computer system wouldn't accept the level that I was offering, that debt just kept getting bigger and I kept getting charges on it. So I was paying the 100 pound I could afford but the £50 that I couldn't afford was accumulating as a debt. And they were actually putting interest on that debt as well, which I didn't know at the time, um, and sending out letters and then charging me for the letters because they were hand-delivered. So every time somebody hand-delivered me a letter to say I was in debt, it cost me another £30 and was put onto my bill. So in the end, I ended up owing about £2,000 in the end, even though I was paying the £100 a month and a bit more when I could. Um, so we ended up with the bailiffs at my house and they were really rude. They were really aggressive. They were really, really rude. And I got quite upset and said, look, I've been trying to pay this bill, but the computer said, no, I don't want to be on a meter because I knew it would cost me more. I knew that it's an absolute nightmare. I don't know. Are you on um, meters, Kerry? They're an absolute nightmare, aren't they? You know, if you don't, if you're not no, checking. Actually, no, I don't agree. I don't agree. Ah, see, I I found it I found it more expensive being on the meters than what I was paying for for my bill. Um, I don't agree. I like prepay with meters. I know where I am. I don't agree with that. Like, although yeah, yeah. Jared, it might be cheaper, but 
for me, budget and wise, prepayment meters are the best for me. And yeah. my company, I can genuinely, I'm with the utility, I've been with them since smart meters came out. And I yeah. can genuinely not fault my energy provider. I cannot. Yeah. See, I went, I went from, I was paying about uh, £220 a month for both my gas and electric when I was doing it monthly by direct debit. And then now I've gone on to meters. I mean, through the winter, I know we've had we've had the increase, but my gas on its own was three hundred pounds a month. That was just for my gas through my meter, um, because my house isn't insulated and I don't have carpets either, which I think is is sucking the life out of of you know what I am using. Um, but it was it was the way the bailiff turned up, and and I got upset, and he actually did the flat screen TV thing at me. When he walked through the living room, he went, oh, well, you know, you've got your flat screen TV. As if these things are, are, are a massive... Why did you let him in? Oh, I, you know what? I could have laid him out. I would have got arrested for, for what I, I really could have. Um, because they barged. They knocked on the door, I opened it, and he was in with his friends. There was no, you know, there was no messing. Um, and they installed the meters and obviously made the, the comment about the TV, which, which I'd actually bought while I was working, not that it was any of his business um so yeah I, i've not um but going back to what we're turning off gem i'm going to intervene kirsty at this point yeah. um, sort of um uh, some some comments um neil neil terry people on the lowest incomes will be hit the hardest by this what's happened is that the government has withdrawn their 66 pounds uh, a month that they were giving so even though the price has come down people are going to be worse off this winter than they were last winter. Uh, just very briefly, Kerry, have you got a comment to make about this topic, about the, the energy price cap? I do. I think that it's obviously, surprise, 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 it's going to affect the poor the most, isn't it? I mean, when you get Rishi Sunak changing the national grid so he can eat his heated swimming pool, seriously, they're on a different planet. This government, I haven't got, they have not got a clue in any way, shape or form. And uh, Jane, last comment. Um, I think the one word we've not used is nationalisation here. I think nationalisation is a really important thing. Ofgem are looking at increasing the cap on how much profit energy companies can make. So any amount of profit nationalised, they're looking at increasing it so they can take more profit. They think this is an appropriate time to do that. That's what they're looking at. So <laughs> take the profit out of it and use it to lower people's bills and to invest in infrastructure. And I just want to say about meters. I see there's two sides of it, but for me, meters, you know, I've been on meters before and I will always associate it with the lights going out, you know, with the fridge going off for someone who's got incident in it. I know there's a budgeting side to it, but no one should ever be put in the position in the first place where they're having to budget to the extent where they have to choose whether they can have heat or light in the house. Thank you so much. What amazing comments. And, and, and really, we could have gone talking about this a lot longer. Um, so to thank you for drawing our attention to the, the real meaning of this in terms of the suffering of people who are trying to cope um, sort of with this situation. I've just got two very brief comments to, to make. One, um, it's an absolute scandal what's going on. Um, sort of the government is just pouring money into the hands of the power companies and uh, sort of, um, and, and and in the meantime, people, I think being warm enough is a right. I think Kirsty is absolutely correct to draw our attention to the need for insulation and the yeah. sort of a better, more efficient uh, heating system. 
Um, but also sort of this dampening that when you get into debt, it, it, it increases, the, the pressure increases on you. It doesn't, it doesn't re reduce. Thank you so much for your comments. Um, sort of our last <laughs> topic, which I'm just uh, sort of, Kirsty and Jane, you might need to steal yourself, but you're not going to get a chance to say anything about this. Uh, we're running out of time. <laughs> what are you trying uh, to say about me, John? No, I'm just trying to say that you've only got 10 minutes, and I know that you're highly motivated <laughs> about this. Sort of um, talk to us about Kirsty, sorry. Kerry, talk to us about um, preschool meals. They've been in the, 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 the news this week. What's going on with preschool meals and, and, and what's your comment about it? Um, well, I did read an article today about a Sunderland MP, Sharon Hodge, 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 I can never say her name. She was brought up on preschool meals and she's ask, actually asking the Labour Party to make it part of their manifesto for the next general election. With all due respect, that should be in one of the highest priorities for a Labour Party, especially in our region. Um, universal free school meals for all school primary children should be a thing. Massive big thing. It's yeah, like... Kerry. Why should children whose parents can well afford to pay for their lunches, why should... The, what is the argument that says that they ought to have free school meals. Uh, and I'm absolutely... Uh, it's the stigmatisation of children who receive free school meals. They get stigmatised. They get labelled. The the. I remember when I was a kid at school, right, and we used to get these little sticks of what number you were in. And if you were at school and you received free school meals, you got this stick. So mm. you had to go in a different queue or your counterparts. Mm. And... I think that all primary school children should be receiving a free school meal. And regardless of how much your parents earn or whatever. Harry, you've muted yourself. You've muted yourself. Now. Sorry, my hands are gone too busy, John. Um, I think that <laughs> the stigmatisation with free school meals and kids' dinners at school. Um, but I think that every child should be equal in school. I mean, hasn't Sadiq Khan done it in London, Universal Free School Dinners for Primary School Kids? Don't Scotland get it? And hasn't, I might be wrong here, but hasn't Wales attempted to do it or doing it? Scotland Why? Yeah, and I just think that where I'm from, I'm from Grangetown in Middlesbrough, like one of the most deprived areas. And I think that that's what's caused a lot of hate from parents towards UC claimants in receipt of free school meals. And I, I've dealt with the abuse online, as you all know. And I think that I, I I get why people get upset about kids receiving free school meals. I couldn't afford, God, how much I school in is these between 10 and 15 quid a week. And I think that a child in primary school is at the most developmental stage in their whole entire lives. It sets them up for life. So you can't only have free school dinners from reception a year two key stage one it should be continued like our kids are literally like sponges at that age and if you want them to achieve anything in life that people kind of like i've seen not from my school but articles are kids aren't being fed because they haven't paid the free school like that woman the other week with the curly hair that big woman like the headmistress sending people to isolation because the parents haven't paid for the dinners. Yeah. What is all that about? 
And that infuriated me and it really infuriated me. And that woman calls herself a good religious person. She's absolutely full of Tory tosh and she infuriates me. Sorry, John. I have yeah. swore that I've been taking good job. All rounds. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Kerry, you wanted to plug a group. You wanted to. to yeah, to... I, did. I mean, just to add on to that, I'd go one step further and say it should be all the way through to secondary school and it should be universal, every child, because I think actually people in work, when they realise that children only get £2.30 a day, and it's actually the quality and the price of the school of, of the food that's in the school. It's really highly priced when you look at it. Um, and a lot of the kids are having to take in extra money to top up that free school meal entitlement because it's just not enough. So I, I think can I that's back in there, well. John. Yes, you can, Gary. Um, my my daughter, like uh, and my son previously is now in college. Uh, my daughter's in secondary school in the receipt of free school meals. And if something goes up in price at the school, they still get the same amount of money. My daughter's come up from school one day and said, Mama, I couldn't get a drink because I'd use my budget. Yeah. How is that right? And not allowing a child to have a drink with their school meal at yeah. school. Yes, yes, yes. How is that right? It's not no. right. I mean, just, just plug what, what I've been involved with the group. It's called um, Disabled... Um, oh, I'll put a link in the bottom of this um, but it's basically a group that are looking um, it's for children that have got disabilities that maybe have sensory issues um, or anxiety issues and they cannot access their free school meal within school it also goes yes, on yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you but like what the point I'm trying to make I mean I've got a send child but the point yeah. I'm trying to make is this is a universal issue regardless of special educational yeah. needs yeah, yeah. Get able, like normal children at school whose parents can't not normal god forgive me that's a wrong word to yeah. say it. i don't mean it like that but yeah, you're getting yeah. parents who are under this pressure cooker already in life with gas electric food yeah, and everything yeah. like that and they're missing the threshold by 10 pence yeah. and they're having to pay 12 to 15 pound a week for school dinners yeah. and i cannot imagine that mentally and yeah. i think it's all wrong but if we took our kids out for us for if we took our kids out and we were paying for school dinners for a week and got fined off the local authority, we would still have to pay for them school dinners. Yeah, yeah. But I think the, the argument they're making is sometimes these children are on roll at the school, but they're not actually even going to the school. So what's happening is you've got a, a, a large bunch of children that aren't accessing their free school meal, aren't at, at school to access their free meal. Yeah, because there's that much stigmatisation to which kids are embarrassed in this day and age. But that school is still getting the funding for it and they're yeah. still getting the pupil premium as well. So if a child is on free school meal, the school automatically get extra funding through the pupil premium as well. And our point was, well, if that child's not getting air or they're not able to access the school through whatever reason, whether it's disability or if they're on reduced timetables, that that money is allocated for that child's food. So what we've been pushing for is for the free school meal vouchers that were allocated through lockdown, you know, when we got the vouchers online at £15 a week, to be issued to the parents. So I've actually managed to do this. I've got a SEND child who's got food sensory issues. And the, the food at school got so bad that she was going hungry and I couldn't afford to keep sending her with a pack up. It was just becoming a real financial 
stress on me. Um, so I approached the school and said, well, what is happening to that free school meal money that you're getting? You know, that's £60 a month that's going into your funding that's meant to feed my child and she's not getting fed. Um, and the campaign's get, gathering quite a lot of a lot of um, family have been able to get that free school meal voucher um, back paid. So if their child has been enrolled but hasn't been able to get into school for a year, they've had as much as £600 worth of vouchers back paid for their child's free school meals. Oh, um, I totally get there and good for that initiative. But I think that yeah. when we're on here, we need to think of the bigger picture of all families and all children. <laughs> and I think that... And just thank as a you, girl, thank you, girls. Thank you, thank you. That's okay. wonderful of you. Sorry, John. Um, no, no, no. I knew it was going to be terrifying today. The, I just want to see can get bursaries for 16 to 18 year olds online as well. That's the best discussion we've had for a long, long time, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to um, uh, ask, move to that, Jane, make the last comment very brief, please, Jane. The um, It strikes me, Jane, that a good diet and being properly fed is key to a child's intellectual and physical development. And sort of everything depends on them being properly um, nourished in those early years. And it's a no brainer for me that we have free school meals as a universal part of education. Sort of, uh, but. So I'll let you finish off, Jane. I agree with Kirsty. I think it should be absolutely for secondary and primary school children. And I think it's fantastic that Tower Hamlets in East London has just introduced, announced that they're going to introduce free school meals for secondary school children as well. They've already got it for primary school children. And um, on the means testing argument, because it comes up again and again, it costs money to process applications and means test. It costs money you could have just spent on the additional meals for the children so that, you know, you can just give all the children the same benefits and the and it's an investment in the future and you're going to see the benefits in the community in the children you know in their future and also you're probably going to see savings in the local police you know service health and mental health services and you're going to see families not you know who might have broken under the pressure not quite breaking and managing to stay together and support each other in their networks so this really needs to happen thank you um wow Brilliant today, wasn't it? I mean, for goodness sake, <laughs> you, you weren't absolutely captivated today. So, first of all, thank you to my guests. Thank you, Kirsty. Say goodbye. Thank you, John. Bye. So, that Jane. Bye. Kerry. Bye, John. You've done well with three women. I know, sort of. Uh, <laughs> Sort of a new number four in this lineup. <laughs> um, the um, just uh, ask you, um, join Socialist Think Tank, please. Um, please um, go and buy some of the merchandise. You can make a donation if you want. Absolutely vital elements of independent media, the media which is not controlled by the big bosses, but can come on with. Fabulous content uh, like we've had tonight and fabulous guests like we've had tonight. And so um, I'm now... John's the only boss on here. <laughs> and I'm now going to say goodbye and we're all going to say goodbye and hopefully um, the person in charge of technology will um, close us all down. Goodbye. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. God bless.
the red flag flying here.